Yo, yo, what is going on, everybody? Welcome, welcome. Give it a minute for everybody to hop in here. Happy Sunday, happy Sunday, everybody. So we're going to go ahead and get started here in just a minute. Pace is just a couple minutes out, and then he's going to be hopping on. Let's see here. So for those of you that may be tuning in to Sunday service for the first time, uh, my name's Cody Barton. My partner, Pace Morby, is going to be hopping on here in just a minute as well. Um, we're super excited for this Sunday service. We're going to, if some of you have not seen it, uh, Pace and myself on one of our fix and flips uh, got broken into um, a couple days ago. And so we're going to talk about that and talk about how you handle it, what we're doing. And so um, so you guys can have an idea of what that looks like. <laughs> so um, if this is the first time that you're tuning in, um, just so everybody does know, um, you can fall, you can watch Sunday service now on iTunes and Spotify. So if you're driving around in your car, you know, going to work or going from appointments and you're catching up on past Sunday services, you can go on uh, Spotify or iTunes and find us on there um, and jump on the podcast. So um, super excited about that. Just got that rolling out um, over the last month here. So um, where's everybody tuning in from? Where's everybody at? See Tulsa, we have Tulsa, North California, Metro Detroit. Medium wave Dave says Cody has good Wi-Fi. I mean, the amount of Wi-Fi range extenders that I've put inside of uh, my apartment is ridiculous. So, I mean, if I didn't, if you, if there was any Wi-Fi interruptions, I got nothing else for it, guys. Like that, I, I maxed out on outlets and Wi-Fi range extenders. <laughs> see here. So we have Rayleigh, Atlanta, Arizona. What's up, Debbie? We have Hawaii, Oregon, Tacoma, Seattle, West Palm Beach, Wisconsin, London, England. That's awesome. Santa Cruz, California, DFW. It's always super awesome to, you know, see where everybody's tuning in from. Um, so I'm going to jump into a little bit on this story of what happened uh, a couple days ago on, on one of our fix and flips. So there's actually, uh, you know, a rolling joke between, you know, some of the people on our team and it's, you know, conservative Cody, conservative Cody, conservative Cody. And they all, you know, a lot of people say that when it comes to fix and flips, rentals, um, just any of the properties that we're acquiring. And so, you know, the reason why is you can't calculate for the OSHI moments that happen. You know, you, you can't always account for things that are going to happen. So whenever I'm underwriting a property, I'm always being a little bit conservative. I, own, I don't ever speculate. I don't assume rents are going to go up. If it's a rental, I don't assume that the um, values are going to go up by the time we fix, uh, a fix and flip. So I just never account, I never account for that because the thing is things could go down 
There could be unexpected problems that come up during a project. So um, I just never want to put our team in a position um, and the lenders that we work with in a position where, you know, we would have an issue on a property. So um, that's just the way that we do things. Maybe we could probably buy a couple more deals here and there. But at the end of the day, we've never lost money on a fix and flip. And that's, you know, something that we are you know proud of is we don't speculate at all. We make sure that we know that there's concrete numbers there. So Matt Beard says, thank God for conservative Cody. <laughs> yeah, man, you know, it's it's uh, something that you have to watch out for. So here's what happened, guys. So we bought a property from, um, you know, this was actually one of the uh, one of the door knockers on our team, Ty. Shout out to Ty. He was door knocking and, you know, got a homeowner that was in pre-foreclosure, was ready to go. So we get it under contract. We close on it. Pretty light renovation, literally. Um, we only replaced carpet. We did some minor paint touch-ups and kind of cleaned it up. So there's really, um, you know, there's really not a, a ton that we had to do to the property. So got it fixed up. And we put it on the market, sells within about 10 days. So it sells relatively quickly and we're excited. We're like, perfect. We get into the inspection period where our end buyer, um, you know, views the property, sees the condition that it's in. And, you know, we then we agree to fix some things. You know, it's just minor things that need to be fixed on the property. So we get through the inspection period. The house appraises at you know full value, so we're we're good. We're on track. We're set to close this upcoming Tuesday. Is when we're supposed to be closing on this property. I've already signed at the title company. Like the closing docs and everything are already good to go. I already signed. Everything is good. I signed on Friday, and so um, Saturday, I uh, I'm over at Pace's house and we're we're recording some content and putting some trainings and things together, and so. Essentially, you know, we're just recording away and Laura comes, you know, down the hall and she's like, hey, guys, uh, 30th just got broken into and it's flooding. And we're like, what? The neighbor, the neighbor called, said, called Laura, says, hey, uh, the front door of your listing over here on 30th Drive is open and there is water just oozing out of the front door all the way down into the driveway and out the front door. So obviously that's concerning, right? So there's something, you know, wrong. And so we send Anna over there on our uh, project manager. She's our project manager. So Anna, you know, goes over there immediately to see what's going on. And what does she find? Our oven is stolen. The dishwasher is stolen. The microwave is stolen. And originally the neighbor thought maybe a pipe burst. And so it was, you know, just leaking. We've had that happen at other properties of ours. So what's it, not super uncommon. And so um, what we found out was the actual, um, the dishwasher, the, you know, the line, the water line that's hooked up to the dishwasher, the thieves that stole it just ripped it out and the water line was just left to run. So, you know, it was left to run for probably a day, I don't know, a day, maybe two days inside of the house. So whole house is filled with water. Um, you know, baseboards are all destroyed. Carpet needs to be replaced. Some of the cabinets got destroyed. Um, you know, water just pouring out the front door. So, you know, all everything, you know, it's uh, our total renovation on this property 
was about three, four thousand dollars. And so, you know, with that, that's a you know really cheap, easy renovation. And I underwrote the deal for us to make, you know, twenty-five thousand um, dollars originally. And that was we had a pretty we had a long escrow because the seller had some issues. And so um, that was what the comps were when we went under contract. So I'm like, perfect. We'll still, you know, we'll make about 25 grand on this deal. And, you know, we get to, uh, you know, putting it on the market and there was a couple good comps that just recently closed. So we, we listed it for higher than we expected, which was great. And then we sold it. So we, uh, we anticipated that we were going to make about $36,000. So $11,000 more than we thought, which was great. We we're super stoked about that. Um, we got through the appraisals, like I said, for some of the viewers that just hopped on, um, you know, we got through inspections, everything was ready to go. We were set to close this upcoming Tuesday, which, um, you know, we were, we were super, um, you know, super excited about. And so basically, um, Oh, someone said connection lost. I was like, are you kidding? It better not be my internet. Irene, that sounds like it's your internet. So back to the story though. So uh, we put the property, um, you know, we get the property sold, everything. We're, we're getting ready to close in two days and we're like, dope, we're going to make 36 grand on this deal. And what happens is, you know, life happens, right? So me and Pace, we find out this news and, you know, the flooding and everything. So we just send our team, you know, Anna went over there. She got, you know, our foreman, Martin over there. And he went and took, you know, basically uh, assessed all the damage. We're estimating the damage is going to be somewhere between six to $10,000. The reason we don't fully know yet is because we don't know how bad the water damage was. So that's still being found out. They just had to get air, mover, air movers and, you know, some things in there to just dry out all of the water as quickly as possible. Um, so that's currently what's going on today. I think they went back there and tomorrow is going to be a full work day for our guys that they just have to go over there and, you know, fix it. So we plan to spend, you know, three, you know, three, four grand on this property. And then what happens is, you know, now we're spending an additional six to $10,000 um, because we have to replace all the appliances. The buyer that we're you know, selling it to is expecting all stainless steel appliances in this house. So we got to replace them. And then, you know, the, to whatever the extent that we have to replace carpet, baseboards, drywall, repaint, uh, all of that. Right. So, you know, that's what happens sometimes. That is why I am always conservative when I'm running our numbers, because if it's not a break-in, because we've had this happen before, we've had um, break-ins happen before, but you know, it's, it's just part of the, part of the game, like rentals we've bought when houses sit vacant, they become targets. So when your house is sitting vacant, sometimes that's something that can happen. And so in this particular situation, um, you know, it's just something that came up. It hasn't happened. It's been probably a couple dozen houses since we've had it happen. We've, probably happened about six months ago was as recent as it had happened before. Um, we had somebody that broke in, broke all the cabinets, destroyed the stove, flooded the kitchen. I don't know what it is about people and flooding, but people just, when they go and steal and break into houses, they just turn on the water and just want to flood it. Does not make sense to me, but that's what people want to do. So um, as far as people asking about insurance, we can make an insurance claim. We also close escrow on the property in two days. So do we want to extend escrow and go through this whole process and have, 
you know, wait for an insurance company to do their thing and, you know, go through that whole process. No, we're not going to, we're not going to file a claim. We don't want to wait and hold up everything, um, you know, with the closing. So we're going to make sure that, you know, we close on Tuesday and, you know, hopefully Tuesday, but, you know, worst case Wednesday, just getting all the repairs done for that buyer. Um, but we're not going to, you know, we're not going to file an insurance claim because that's going to hold up the whole process. We're, we're just going to move forward, take the L on the repairs that we have to do and replacing the appliances in the property and move on to the next deal. You know, you can't throw good, you know, good money after bad. You got to cut, cut the loss and get out of the deal. If it was more significant, I mean, if it was like 25, 30,000, dollars in damages. I mean, maybe there'd be um, a, a further discussion on doing an insurance claim, but um, Pace, welcome. What's up, man? What's up, brother? Sorry. I bet we were cooking in the kitchen. We were doing this uh, meal prep thing with people and hanging out and talking about health and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of fun. Nice. Nice, dude. That's awesome. You hitting the gym or what? Uh, yeah. I mean, the challenge was for me, you know, I've been running with Steve Trang for a couple of years. And, um, when COVID hit, I decided, as you remember, I'm going to go travel around the country with my wife and kids. And yep. when I left, I realized that my feet, my ligaments, my knee, my, like so many things with my lower body were like damaged to the point where, um, I decided I didn't want to run anymore. So when I, when I got back home from the trip, I then didn't have an accountability partner. Right. So. Yep. Um, you know, Steve still texts me like every couple of weeks. He's like, Hey, you're going to come running with us. And for me, dude, no, I'm, I'm not about it. And then people say, well, you can swim. No, like swimming is another thing I got to manage. Like I want to get in, I want to get out, but if I'm swimming, like you got to, you know, get the goggles, get like the gear. It's like, yes. you got to get the towel. Like, you know, it's a, it's a whole event. Yes, that's exactly it. So, um, Reagan who runs the sub two community, her boyfriend, Jack, um, is going to school for holistic medicine and he's been lifting okay. since he was like 14. So I was like, Oh my gosh, they live just down the road. This will be great just to have an accountability partner, you know? Nice. So nice. anyway, I, we, I decided I was like, dude, let's do this for other people. Like, let's talk about meal prep and let's talk about, you know, some of these things that a lot of people um, probably need, especially at this part of the, like this time of the year, everybody's thinking about health and fitness and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. anyway, I moved my camera set up into the kitchen so we could do that. And then it took me like freaking 15 minutes to get it set back up in here. I'm so sorry. Oh, all good. All good. Are you told so, them about the bull crap situation that happened on the house. Yeah. Yeah. I was telling them, uh, you know, about what happened and a lot of people are like, why didn't you do an insurance claim? And, you know, so I was just answering that. And, um, the one thing I didn't, you know, a lot of people were saying, why don't you get security systems at all the houses that you have? So do you want to take that question? Cause that, that has came up a lot. Yeah, you know, so we've done that. Think about it. Let's th let's think about how many houses that Cody and I fix and flip every single month. Okay, so who's the person that asked that? That's really, really. There's really been a lot. Question. There's been a lot of uh, people that have. But Freddie H says, "Did you have a security system?" Okay, so Scott Barker, will you file an insurance claim? No, we won't. Um, and the reason being is that it takes way too much time, and we're closing escrow in like two or three days. So. Do you think it would be a good idea for us? I mean, if the renovation, the repairs were like 30 or 40 grand, the answer would be yeah. yes. But because we understand how to do the renovation for a lot less expensive, um, we are 
just getting it done and closing escrow. The most yeah. important thing is just getting people paid, right? So you're doing deals, you have acquisition people and you have disposition people and you have partnerships and you have all sorts of people on these deals that we do that they're relying on getting paid as well, right? So if we push it back based on a insurance claim, then that person or multiple people don't end up getting paid. So it doesn't yeah. really make sense. And then you really can frustrate people, especially if they're just getting started out. Like yeah. the person who got this deal, yep, he got it from knocking doors and we could have paid him up front, but he would have made less money. So he's making more money because he actually participated in getting paid on the back end. And we don't want to hold him up another 30, 60, 90 days. And that's how long an insurance check and an insurance claim would actually take. So it just doesn't yep. make sense for us to um, file an insurance claim. Ooh, this is really, really good. Geronimo Panita says, um, is sub two illegal in Florida? I found this last night. I don't, I can't pull it up, but I, I want to type that in. I want to see what it says. Uh, no, sub two is not illegal anywhere in the country at all. Um, let's see here. HTTPS. I can't copy and paste this, unfortunately. So sorry. Um, Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, Jeremy Harlow says speed equals money, 100%. And yes, it can hurt buyer to qualify for new insurance claim. Premium would go up. There's just a, not a lot of positives that would happen out of doing an insurance claim. Um, it's unfortunate, but like I was saying at the beginning of this call, you know, that's where you have to factor in an OSH factor on your fix and flips. And sometimes uh, other wholesalers will send us deals and I'll tell them no. And they're like, no, the, you know, the numbers, you know, everything, everything makes sense. It's like, yeah, if everything perfectly aligns. And I mean, how often pace does everything go exactly perfect on a construction project? Um, never. Never. <laughs> There's always something, there's always something that comes up. So that's something, you know, for those of you that don't actively fix and flip, um, you, you have to keep that in mind or, you know, whether you're buying a rental, whatever it is, you have to account for that. There's just, there's going to be stuff that comes up that you didn't account for. Matt Beard says, Cody's eating. Yes, I, I am eating. Hyle brought me, uh, back dinner. So I am eating. So let's, I'm going to read through this real quick. So somebody just asked a question. Let's do a little screen share if I can. This is so dumb. While you're doing that, Mark's asking, is your OSH factor a percentage of the rehab budget? Um, not really. I mean, we don't flip out. So this is my answer to that. We don't really flip higher end homes. Like typically our highest ARV on a property is going to be like 350. So usually the OSH type issues that come up are going to be around five grand, like five grand or less generally. So I usually will kind of have like a $5,000 buffer for, oh, the AC randomly magically went out and now, you know, we need to replace an air conditioner or you know, oh, there's a weird roof leak or somebody breaks in and steals your stuff or, oh, you know, of course, the week before closing, your plumbing decides to leak underneath the property and you have to replace some plumbing. So, um, yeah. So Matt's saying, oh, is the 
15 to 20 K conservative. Yeah. I mean, I, I always just factor in, I want to make sure we, um, making at least 20. Hey, this is going to make me quit Chrome and reopen. So I'll be right back. I really want to do a screen share on this. This is an interesting conversation. I'll be right back. Okay. Uh, let's see. Always factor in Kimberly says always factor in the oh shit stuff. Um, da, da, da. Yeah, no, this is uh, um, super, super important to make sure that you're accounting for that. All right. So um, let's pull it up. Up. this is an interesting conversation. I've heard of this a couple of times from people. Mm -hmm. um, so they're talking about equity skimming. Okay. Equity let's skimming. Let's go through this because a lot of people do not understand that wholesalers are equity skimmers. Doesn't mean it's a good or bad thing. Just it is what it is. All right. So here we go, guys. We've got it on the screen. Let me do like a full screen layout of this so you guys can see it. Let's see if we can bigger. Get you guys to see this on the screen. Okay. All right. It is unlawful for any person with intent. To, I've read this before. Um, let's see this. It is unlawful for any person with intent to defraud the owner of real property to engage in equity skimming, equity skimming. Okay. So this is not about doing a subject two. it does mention subject two here, but it does not mean that equity skimming has anything to do with the sub two equity skimming is the problem, not the, not the subject two. Okay. So it is unlawful for any person with intent to defraud the owner of real property to engage in equity skimming, which is. So again, what, what's illegal? Does it say sub two is illegal? No. Geronimo, it does not say sub two is illegal. It says that equity skimming with the intent to defraud the owner of real property engage in equity skimming, which is to do this. Purchase within a three-year period, two or more single family dwellings, two family dwellings, blah, 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 that are subject to a loan that is in default at the time or within one year of the time of purchase, which is lo uh, which loan is secured by a mortgage deed of trust. Then fail to make payments under the mortgage or deed of trust as the payments become due, regardless of whether the purchaser is obligated on the loan. Apply or author, authorize uh, the application of rents da, 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 for somebody's personal use. So here's what's happening. Okay, I've read this article multiple times. Has been sent to me multiple times. Um, what happened in Florida? This is just actually really kind of funny story. Not a funny story. It's a horrible story. But here's what happened in Florida not too long ago. There was a guy in Florida a couple of years ago. Um, he actually ran. He actually was learning creative finance from somebody very well known. What he was doing is he was going and buying people subject to mortgages that were in default on their mortgages. They were in foreclosure. And what he was doing is he was taking over their home subject to, and then he was turning around and renting them out. And what was he doing with the money? Not paying the mortgage. Right. Wasn't paying the mortgage. He was collecting like 18 or 19 mortgage payments or rent payments, but not paying any of the mortgages. So he was leveraging the seller's credit to take advantage, right? So it doesn't say sub two is illegal. 
In fact, it actually talks about how you can buy houses subject to, it's just that you can't not perform and you can't defraud a seller. That's essentially what it's saying is it has nothing to do with subject to. It only has to do with defrauding the seller. But that's a really good, I think that's a really good conversation and good thing to pull up. So thank you so much, Geronimo, for pulling it up, okay? Ramon Batan says, says, are we finally going to talk about goal setting for 2021? Yes, we are. Let's jump into it in just a minute. We got some people that are on that. I love it. Yes. Okay. Um, one thing I do want to talk about is I'm very proud of our team. We ended up getting six contracts this week and only two of them required an American. The other four did not. What are your thoughts on that, bro? It's pretty great. It's a great week. Do you have any deal that you have off the top of your head that we can chat about? Um, I don't know details on any of them besides the one Apache Junction one. Let's talk about that. Hold on. I'm going to pull up the the goal planner. Okay. All right. So lead comes in from one of our, one of our cold callers. And this one was when an American on our team got it, Cameron, shout out Cameron. Great job. Um, deal comes in a, you know, ARV is about 300,000 on this particular uh, mobile home. And so on this mobile home, the seller was asking for about 240,000. Cameron, you know, did some follow-up with them, was going back and forth, got him from 240 down to 220. He needed, we needed it at, you know, two, 210, we'd make money. We'd be able to make money on it at 210. So, you know, we get it down to around 215, 210. And then I think Pace, me and you were on like a phone call or something. Uh, we were on a Zoom call and we were just talking about a deal and you were driving out near Apache Junction. You're like, I'll go to that house. So Pace actually went and met with the, uh, met with the seller on the spot and it was actually in better condition that than we expected it to be too. Yeah. I actually recorded the whole conversation. It was about a 35 minutes um, conversation. What happened is the seller, I pulled up and the seller says to me, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't bring my keys, but don't worry. My family members are going to bring them. And I was like, oh, okay, no problem. So his family members come over and his family members are like upset. And I, you know, you could like feel weird energy when somebody's, you know, pissed off at you for whatever reason. These people were mad at me. I had no reason why I had no understanding why. Turns out they were trying to buy the property at the same time. So they had the keys, like they were that possessive about the property. Like we're not going to, we're going to hold on to the keys for you. Don't worry about it. If you need the keys, you just let us know. We'll stop by it's like, oh my gosh, these people are like married to this property. They're very, very excited about buying this house, right? So um, really good conversation. I basically was like, yeah, you know, we thought it was a good deal, but now I've come to the property. I don't, I'm not sure. Um, I'd like to buy it, but maybe you should just sell it to your family. And I said that right in front of the family, just pushing off, pushing off, pushing off, because I didn't want to have him continually try and leverage me for, um, you know, against his family. So he was like, no, well, when could you close? Like right in front of the family I go, well, you know, for us, it takes three days. And I, what about what's your timeline? Are they going to close faster than that? And I knew the answer was no, they're not going to be able to close. They have to go get a loan. Right. So he's like, well, they're, you know, I think they're going to be closer to 30 or 45 days. And she's like, how the, the woman who had the, had brought the key, she says, 
how are you going to close in three days? That's impossible. And I go, well, we're not getting a loan. We're just going to buy it with cash. So, you know, it was one of those weird things where buying as a cash buyer actually was the benefit. Sometimes, most of the time, that's not the benefit. Most of the time, everyone has cash. Like there's 19 other people with cash ready to go. <laughs> yeah, there was nobody else in there. Um, there's nobody else in that situation that had cash or any other investor, but we were fighting against the family. The family had offered him 205. He said, well, if I can give you get two, 210 from you, I would sell it to you. And I go, I don't know, man. Like, I think you should just sell it to them. I think you should sell it to them. I'll, but I'll let you know. I'll have Cameron call you. So I called Cameron or I called Tino and I told him, just have Cameron lock it up at 205, close next week. And let's get this bad boy done. So what what's the ARV on that deal? It's 300. Some people are saying, whoa, 300K ARV on a mobile. It's on an acre and a quarter. Um, so it's a large lot, guys. It's a very large lot. It's not just the mobile home. So I left the small detail out, but yes, 300K for the ARV. Yeah, it's a gorgeous lot. Um, it's an acre, new RAC. Anyway, so that property, Cody, why don't you pull the fix and flip breakdown real quick and let's just run through that. What if we buy it at 205, what are we going to, we're going to assign it to ourselves, right? Yeah, I believe so. Let's yes. go through that and talk about that. And I'll answer some questions in the side chat real fast. Okay. All right. Jeremy Davis says he's here for the underwriting zoom. That was yesterday, bro. I'm so sorry. So VA's outperformed doc door knockers. Yes. VA's outperformed door, door knockers. VA's outperform everybody, to be honest. Um, yeah, they are. Kelly is like all about goal planning too. So Kelly, let me throw, let me show something to you. And this is why I'm having a challenge with the goal planning. Okay. So if I'm going to do goal planning, you're going to want me to do, what's that Cody? What do you think the renovation budget is on that? 15 grand. 15 grand. So Kelly, watch me do this. Okay. So you're going to want me to do a screen share, right? So I'm on a podcast and I'm showing everybody my screen share. So if I'm going to go through this, you would think that I could write on this myself and I could like fill it out. I can't. Okay. So while I'm on my screen and I'm performing and I'm, you know, trying to answer questions for everybody, we've got to make it easy for me to be able to jump on the goal planning session and actually fill it out. So now I don't have an application to fill it out. I could go through and download a few things, but that needs to be put in a format that can I, I can just start typing on it from my computer where I don't have to um, go through and mess around with it. And that's one of the reasons, actually a couple of weeks ago when we were doing goal planning session, I pulled it up and I was like, oh, dang. Okay. So um, I'm going to go through it. I'd love to go through it, but I can't edit it. And I want to fill out my goals and I want to talk about our action steps so other people can go through it as well. That's a challenge. So um, whenever we do something like this, let's just put a note into the media team that we need to make sure that whatever thing that we're downloading, somebody can edit it, right? Needs to be you that the Acrobat uh, feature. Right. So I'm on, a, I'm on a computer that I stream with and I'm not really that interested in having to download a bunch of stuff to do it. I just, this is my streaming computer. I just want it very simple. Um, but hold on a second. Let's do a little something, something here. So 
Let's do this. Yeah, Caroline, Caroline, I would love to do that. Um, but my iPad is not set up because I just did a Zoom. So, Kelly, going forward, we need to make sure that anytime we do a document, it can be edited, okay? Let's make it that way. Let's do it that way in the future. Okay, so um, I'm off of the Rainbow Road calculator, and I'm going. Yeah, I'm pull it up. Screen share that for a minute. All right, one sec. Can you see the screen? Yeah, I can see it. Looks great. I. So, what we're looking at is. You'll notice I'm 5,000 under what the other comp was. So assuming, you know, 295, 300-ish was- hey, Cody, so you see where it says hotel and assignment? Yes. Let's zoom in on only the part where you're working on because then everybody can see it much larger. So go to like magnification of like 150 or 200 or something like that. And boom, there you go. Now everybody can see it. Perfect. Dope. Love All it, right. love it, love it. So assuming around a 295 exit on the deal is what we're going to be able to um, get it out at. There, we have a four month hold time. The average days on market for this particular area is about 45 to 60 days. So the renovation really probably won't take longer than a month. Wouldn't you say Pace? Yeah, if I'd that. say it will take 20 days or so. So 20 days or so plus, you know, 45, 60 days on the market for an, and then another month for, uh, you know, in escrow with the buyer. So we're estimating around four months. Um, we, we got the deal at, what was it? 205. Yeah, we got it at 205. So 205. And then assuming we'll assign it to ourselves around 225. So 20,000 goes to the company. We have our closing costs. Uh, renovation for our repairs, 15,000 is what Pace um, is seeing for the numbers on Reno. Some general like monthly kind of cleanup. Uh, the holding costs. So our private money on this particular deal that we have already allocated is at 12%. So we'll have that, you know, fully financed at 12%. So we'll spend about a little over 10 grand on that. Uh, property taxes, insurance, utilities. So it puts our holding at around a little over $11,000. And then we have our selling costs. So uh, we, I always at least assume for 1% on our closing costs and our concessions that we'll be giving to the, uh, the buyer, depending on the area, sometimes a little bit more, but the comps in this particular area, most of the, uh, the sellers didn't have to give much in concessions. So I'm going on what the general area of that, that particular area is doing. Um, listing agent, um, Pace's wife, Laura lists everything. We do a flat fee, right about 1500 bucks. And then the buyer's agent, we do two and a half percent, which takes our total cost into the deal, 266.583, and our profit to about $26,000 on this deal. Where'd that deal come from, Cody? 
This deal came from Podio. I don't let me I'll, let me go look. I'll go I'll go check. I gotta I gotta go see what um, I think it was a cold caller on our team that brought in this deal. Bad. I think did we just lose pace? Oh, there you are. <clears throat> Are you still there, Pace? Yes, I'm still here. Okay. Jacob is Jacob out. Smith says, you know what, Jacob Smith? Let's talk about that. VAs outperformed door knockers. Could you elaborate on this? I think this means VAs who are cold calling and uh, outperform door knockers. Why is it you believe this? Not saying you're wrong, just curious. Jacob, let me ask you a question. Have you ever met an American that's actually consistent on anything? Let's let me answer that question with a question. Have you ever met an American who's consistent at anything they've ever done in their life? Cody, can you give them a link to that uh, breakdown? I think that'd be cool if you give them like a the Google Drive link to for them to have that breakdown of the fix and flip. So Jacob, the reason why virtual assistants outperform door knockers is they outperform everything. They are our bookkeeper gets outperformed. Our editor, our, our like YouTube editors get outperformed. Our cold callers get outperformed. Every single person gets outperformed by a virtual assistant. There's not one position in my company that doesn't get outperformed by a, a virtual assistant. If there's a repetitive task that needs to be done, if there is a repetitive tax ta uh, task that needs to be done, then an American should not be doing it. That's my personal opinion. I've gotten older. I've gotten a little bit crankier. Um, I feel like I have to continually tell the Americans to do the same exact thing over and over and over and over again. And then the next day we've got an issue. They're not getting the job done. So, um, Cody, why don't you explain what a, what a subtail is for Randy for a minute? Yeah. So Randy, essentially, you know, a subtail is just having built in financing, right? So just like you would take a subject to transaction, you know, it's just an exit strategy. The tail is just the tail of the exit strategy, really. So when you're doing a subject to, you're taking um, control of the existing financing, um, taking the existing financing that was already in place and then doing the renovation and just reselling it. So it's just essentially it's a fix and flip without having to go get hard money or private money for the financing um, for the acquisition of the property. It's already built in place. So that's essentially what a subtail is, just a different exit strategy. Great question, Randy. Thank you so much. Cody's very um, loquacious today. So let me jump in here and make sure that we don't have any dead air for a minute. MTP, I wish I knew your real name. You always ask really great questions. And I'm always curious by people that have like these interesting names or that I can't meet. I don't know who you are, bro. Like, here's what's funny is I'll go to a speaking engagement and I'll run into somebody and they'll go, man, hey, so good to meet you. I'll go, man, great to meet you too. What's your name? They go, what do you mean? You don't know my name? I make all the comments on YouTube. And I'm like, I, bro, I don't know what your name is. And then they, I'm MTPTA. 
Bro, what's your real name? I would love to know your real name because you have such great questions. Really, really great questions, okay? So MTPTA says, Pace, I was watching the Cody Hoffine and Jerry Norton stream. And Cody said texting will be obsolete in 12 months. What are your thoughts on this subject? Cody Barton, do you have any thoughts on what Cody Hoffine's saying? Yeah, I think it's going to continue to get less effective. I 100% agree. Um, but that's part of being a business owner is that you have to be able to shift and you need to be able to pivot when things change, right? Um, so as far as texting, it was amazing two, three years ago. It's slowly, slowly gotten a little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less effective. So that's something that you have to understand is, you know, yes, hey, it may change. Things may change. That's where, you know, we've we've really doubled down heavily on our cold calling. And so, um, you know, that's that's our primary way of, you know, getting deals now. Um, we're still getting text deals, but cold calling has, um, you know, really pushed to the to the front for us to get new deals. And this deal that we got, Pace, that we were just talking about, I just looked back. One of our cold callers on our team, Jane, actually got that deal. Um, and she it was a cold call lead cold call lead that came in. I thought this was a newer lead. I guess it wasn't, but I looked back and that lead came in um, back in, it looks like, yeah, September 17th is when that lead came in. And Cameron's been following up since then. Love it. All right, guys. So Kelly Hanno is um, the ultimate boss. So we're going to go through and do a little um, goal planning. Everybody came here for this. So let's jump into it. Good job, Kelly. Thank you so much. Um, so Cody, let's go through our fix and flip goals. What are our fix and flip goals for this, this coming year? Yeah. I mean, as far as our, our fix and flip kind of our, our rotating inventory is to be around 24 properties at a time. Um, like we were talking about, what was that about a week ago? And the the four 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 four. Do you want to explain that you know that logic and the thought process when it comes to that to be able to have um, the amount of inventory closing on a monthly basis on what that looks like? Yeah. So whenever you're doing fix and flips, guys, you always have properties that are in active uh, active acquisition. So what does active acquisition mean? It means that I haven't purchased a property yet. It means that I um, it's pending, right? I'm working on buying that property. Um, I've committed to it. I've had the conversation with the wholesaler or whoever it is and said, hey, I want to buy this property, but obviously we've got to go close escrow on this thing, right? So let's go through that. Our goal is to have 24 properties at a time. Um, acquisitions pending, meaning um, about to purchase. Our goal is to always have eight in process. Okay, then we want to have active um, renovation, which means that you have properties actually getting construct, you know, demo all the way through um, just about to get listed. So let's say active and not listed yet, but we own these. And the goal is to have eight in process as well. Okay, then you're going to have 
constantly, you're going to have properties on the market. So you're going to have active listed. Okay. And again, the, the goal is to have active on the MLS who lists our property is Laura Morby. My wife lists our property. And we want to have eight in process there as well. Okay. So that's 24 total. This is um, a goal. So Cody, what would it take? What, are, what action steps are we currently working on in order to get there? Yeah. So uh, one of the main action items is tracking our flow, right? So on a weekly basis, we're having a meeting with um, Nick Newling in the JV department. And then also we're having a weekly meeting with um, Jeff as he's the asset manager, you know, pushing these projects forward. So we're at, during that process, What's happening is Jeff is making sure to keep an eye on what our pipeline's looking like and to be filling in. So he's basically trying to pull in, pull in, pull in opportunities and, you know, get after Nick as he works in the JV department to get fix and flips from other wholesalers. So it helps us continue that pipeline because obviously we flip a lot of our own inventory, pretty much anything in our own inventory that makes sense to flip or flipping. But Jeff's job is to make sure that, you know, we're getting enough deals also from the JB department to continue flipping as well. Um, so that's one of the main action items is, you know, tracking, really just keeping, um, keeping track of what our pipeline's looking like on a consistent basis to be able to know, hey, we need to step it up. We need two more properties this week or, hey, our pipeline's pretty full you know, let's start getting something in the pipeline for this upcoming week because we have one closing and just kind of forecasting what our pipeline's looking like. Got it. Okay. So why don't we, and then also, so we let's say we've got weekly meeting with Jeff. Yep. Another one would be um, raise private, more, raise more private capital. Yep. hundred percent. Okay, so that's a that's a big thing is that when we're raising private capital, um, it limits your ability to grow, right? So if you don't have money, you can't buy deals. And if you don't buy deals, then you're not fixing and flipping. So um, weekly meetings with Jeff, I think honestly getting our team to understand their jobs better. Um, and Cody, what, will you jump on that real quick? What does that mean? Like getting people to understand their job? Yeah. So essentially when, you know, when we're talking about getting our team to understand their jobs better, um, something that we've, you know, really harped on and started implementing even more is, you know, having laid out um, because we didn't really, you know, focus on this heavily is actually laid out job descriptions. Like most of our team has, training that we have through our trainual system but we've for some of the positions where they've been newer positions that have just been put into place we didn't have laid out specific job descriptions so that the team can actually understand when they're succeeding and when they are not succeeding um, and when there's adjustments that need to be made and so um, by you know putting those job descriptions in place like for you know a jeff on our team our asset manager it's putting that in place so that he understands that the success and failure of the um, fix and flip pipeline is 100% his responsibility. 
obviously where he has myself and Pace as resources to, you know, help support him, his job is to make sure that that pipeline is full. So um, that, you know, that's a big part of just helping the team gain clarity is, you know, we've been implementing, you know, more uh, with the job descriptions. What do we got next? Caroline says system, system, systems. Yeah. System I mean, we have these conversations with our team. Um, how do you raise private capital? That's a whole conversation by itself. Should we do yeah. all about raising private capital next week? I'd be happy to do that. That'd be a great topic to maybe talk about. Um, but getting our team to better understand their job is not simply one conversation. What, what I learn is like, if some, there's very few people I can tell that here's your job, go do it. Um, one time I'd say Kelly Hanna is really close to one of those people. I'm one of those people. You can tell me to do something one time and I never have to understand the who, what, why, why, where, what I get it. I get it. If somebody tells me, Hey, go down to sprouts to go pick up groceries versus bashes. I actually know why they're telling me to go to Sprouts. They want a different level of ingredient. I just know that, right? I don't need, nobody has to sit down and do a one-on-one -on -one Zoom with me to provide clarity to me about why I should, why I'm going to Sprouts, okay? It's the same thing with um, hiring employees. They need to be told every little granular detail about their job position or else they will fail because they will do what they think you want rather than what you actually want. So you have to sit down. I mean, this is something I would say that we did horribly in 2020. Yes. Horribly in 2020. Um, meaning we would tell people to do something, then two weeks later it wasn't getting done. And we'd say, why isn't this being done? And they'd say, oh, you're right, I need to get better. You have to have an accountability call with every single employee in your organization every single week, okay? Um, yeah, I don't ever tell, no, I don't tell Kelly anything twice. Sometimes I have to pro provide a little bit more clarity to Kelly just because the topic might be something that requires a phone call rather than like a Slack conversation. But I'm just, I'm, I'm giving you a compliment, Kelly. You're one of the very few people. Caroline's also one of those people that you tell them one something one time, but 99% of people that we've ever hired, that's not how it is, okay? It is incredibly challenging to just say, go do this, right? How awesome would it be if you could tell people how to be a good salesperson one time or tell people, hey, go do your, um... no, you know what? Honestly, we don't follow level 10 meetings. I feel, Cameron, to be honest with you, I feel like level 10 meetings are trash. And the reason being is it's too much too many conversations it's more mm -hmm. work than it actually needs to be you need to be able to get in and get out you need to give people action items for the week um i had a conversation with um some other high level and not high level investors high level business owners today where they talked about their level 10 meetings used to go an hour and a half that's what you're they're supposed to be but they would actually go two and a half hours okay and then what would happen is there was just too much information. What it needs to be are, what were the action items from last week? What are the things that we need to improve on this week? And when can they be done? Like, it needs to be very simple. You need to be able to have a 45 minute meeting 
or less. And the problem with um, level 10 is it, dude, it is. So, remember when we tried to do level 10, Cody, it's like an hour and a half. It's too long. It's way, it's just way too long. Right. Um, so Cody, why don't you talk about our meetings with our VAs? Yeah. So we do have our virtual assistants included in those meetings and Matt Beard, you know, our partner on, on the wholesale business. For those of you that don't know, we just recently merged our wholesale business together with Matt Beard and um, it's been, been a fun ride already, you know, just getting started in the new year. So Matt Beard is the one that runs these and he does such an excellent job with it. It's been, you know, really, we've been really blessed, you know, having, um, you know, him working with us and running those meetings, but yeah. So Matt, does a meeting with the virtual assistants daily, right? So, you know, just as if they were, you know, Americans on our team here in the US, you know, the Filipinos on our team, they hop on uh, for the cold, you know, the openers, the cold callers, they have a call every morning at 930. The lead managers, they have a call every morning at 10 o'clock, right? So they're, you know, they're getting their day started. Those meet, they're, they're the stand-up meetings. They happen every day. So um, they're, they're a part of your team. So I would definitely recommend for those of you that don't um, include your virtual assistants in your stand-up meetings, you are sleeping on a lot of growth and opportunity because you got to invest in them just like you'd invest in anyone else on your team. The more you invest in them, the more they're, they're going to do a better job within your business as well. Yeah, it's um, so again, there's a daily huddle that happens. Matt Beard runs a daily huddle with our VAs at 930 in the morning. Um, that's with our cold callers, right? Our cold callers are at nine 30 yep. and Matt gets them on the phone. And then at 10 o'clock, he then gets on, um, a huddle with who, what, how does that transition from nine 30 to 10 o'clock? The lead managers. What's a lead manager. So the lead manager's job is to, from when the opener also known as cold caller pushes a lead into our CRM within Podio. The lead manager's role is to then follow up on that lead. And basically their job is just to warm up the lead. Identify when they're at a position, when they're ready to sell. Because a lot of the leads that are going to come in, they're not going to be ready the day they come in as a lead. So the lead manager, their job is to constantly be, you know, planting seeds and, you know, tending to the field, tending to the fields. And then as soon as something is ripe, some, something is ready to go, they're going to call the acquisition manager, you know, quote unquote, they're going to let the acquisition manager, you know, take over from that point and, you know, pull out the ripe fruit, you know, so that that's their job is to basically just tee up opportunities for the acquisition team to once somebody is ready to sell to get the acquisition manager to get them to sell to us. Love that. So I see a couple of questions popping up multiple times. Let's jump into some Q and a um, ballers says, what's the best way to wholesale a creative deal? Is it always to do an assignment or is there a more creative way? Well, the question is the answer. You asked me how, what's the best way to wholesale a creative deal? The answer is to do an assignment. Um, I know that there are other ways to do that, but you're going to stay involved, right? So you could get involved and you could sell it on a wrap. You could then own it and sell it on a lease option. But you asked, how do I wholesale it? The best yeah. way to wholesale a creative finance deal is to assign the deal and be done with it. That's it. It's very simple. Um, Upper V Soccer says, 
For lead lists, vacants, and follow-up SMS and RVM, batch-driven or batch leads, or do I need both? Thoughts? Cody. So my, my answer is going to be based on what are you doing with that information? If you are going to be cold calling the data and you're going to be sending out lots, you know, massive amounts, thousands of text messages a day, I would say batch leads. If you're just going to be doing one off text messaging, one off calling to the individuals on that list, I would use batch driven all day. So you got to ask yourself, what are you using that data for? If it's mass quantities, batch leads. If it's smaller amounts, batch driven. Love that. Jeremy Davis says, obviously a seller wants an offer ASAP. Does your lead manager give that offer and nurture from that point? Ooh, I like that question. Jeremy, great question. So uh, basically what's going to happen is if the seller is ready to go, at that point, they're they're going to pull an offer from the seller. So they're, what their goal is, is to identify what the asking price is going to be from the seller. So say the seller is like, yeah, I want 200000 What the lead manager is more so going to do is see if they're ready to sell. Because if they're, you know, the lead manager is going to say, okay, well, you know, if we were, if I was able to get the team to come up to that number, you know, would we, what would, what would happen next? to identify if the seller is truly ready to sell. If they say, you know, yeah, or, you know, maybe, or if they're, if they're close to really being ready to go at making a decision, it's going to get pushed to the acquisition team. And that's where they're going to team up for, okay, you know, I'm going to have Tino on our team, you know, reach out to you. Um, he's the one that's going to be able to, um, you know, put something together and, you know, see if we can come up to that number. So basically just tease it up for the next call if they're ready to sell, but the lead managers aren't giving offers. We don't give offers. That's one of the things that people always are like, how many offers do you make to get a deal? We don't give offers out. We make the sellers give us a number and we try to come up to the number and see if we can get to that or not. Here's a good question, Pace. So Aaron Leitz is asking, what steps do you take when you have a seller under contract and now they want to back out? Um, do, Aaron, do you want to know the real answer? Because I'll give you the real answer. Um, Aaron had a seller recently. So he got his first, Aaron got his first sub two deal done. It's a VA loan. Okay. Mm -hmm. What happened is, Along the way, somehow the seller changed their mind, whatever, you know, could be most of the time, the reason the seller changes their mind is because they got a higher offer from another wholesaler or somebody came along right after you that offered them more money. Mm -hmm. I'd say that's 99% of it. Every once in a while, you'll get a seller that says straight up like, well, I really don't want to sell anymore and I want to stay in the property. It's pretty simple. Okay. Um, what we've experienced is that I know that if I have a property under contract, I have legal, there's no way that that seller has any way to get out of that contract unless I breach. So if I were you, Aaron, this is something that Cody and I do is we spend the money. We go after the seller. I've always gone after a seller. If a seller tries to cancel, we have always gone after the seller, always. So what do I do? What's that process look like? We write an email to Danielle Graham, our attorney. We say, hey, Danielle, we would like to um, have a conversation with you regarding a possible litigation with this seller. Um, what 
will you please take a look at my contract and tell me if there's anything I'm missing? Did I do anything wrong before I moved down that road? And then what I would do is I would file what is called a Liz pendants. Okay. Liz pendants. You guys can Google it. Liz pendants means pending lawsuit means I'm filing something against the property showing that the sell showing the seller, Hey, we're going to be filing a lawsuit on your property because you failed to execute your end of the bargain. Okay. So I then, um, get in there and I sue them. Have I ever gone to court? No, we never have gone to court. We always go through um, mediation or we end up going through a period where the seller's mad at me. And I just simply, I don't even remind them. I have my attorney remind them. I have Danielle Graham have a conversation with them and just say, Hey, I'm sorry. I'm representing Pace and Cody in this matter going forward. If you have a problem, um, with uh, me communicating with you directly, please let us know who your legal counsel is. And that our attorney will actually start communicating with their legal counsel. Aaron, I've had probably five or six sellers try and cancel on me. And I've never had a seller actually cancel on me and get away with it. We always go after the seller. We signed a contract. And the first time I did, I was really scared, to be honest. I was really scared to do it because I thought, well, I don't know what this venture looks like. I don't know what it feels like to sue somebody. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. Oh my gosh, it's going to cost money. But then I realized this is what business is. It's spending money and learning lessons and, you know, pressing the, the risk button every once in a while. And so the first lawsuit that I ever went forward with was with Danielle Graham. It cost me $7,500 and the seller, I was going to make $25,000 on that property. And after a year of going back and forth, I ended up making $125,000 on that property. See, and this is, this is the, I could actually have um, Danielle Graham come on as a wholesale uh, hotline guest. Actually, it would not be a bad idea. Did MTPTA actually say their real name today? I would love to know his real name. Is this attorney on Tainer or paid by, by a case-by-case -case basis? So. Um, that's a great question. It's the number one reason I know where that question's coming from. It's coming from a fear of spending money, right? I've had the same fear. Oh my gosh, I don't want to go after the seller. It's probably less expensive for me to just walk away and go get another deal. But the reality is once you understand, I'll give you her contact information, Aaron, you're one of my sub two students. I'll give you Daniel Graham's information right now. It's great. I've won every lawsuit I've ever opened with her. And I'm sending you, I'm giving you a screenshot of Danielle Graham's information right now, Aaron, and I'm texting it to your personal cell phone. I think you have an Android, so I hope you can receive an image on your Android. I'm not Joe, I'm not saying that in jest. I just deal with a lot of people with Androids and they can't get images for some reason. So, um, People are afraid to spend money. They're afraid to learn things. They're afraid to go through the process, right? And that's what I did. I just was kind of sick of that feeling. Um, instead of me saying, I don't know what this feels like. I don't know how much it costs. I don't know what the process looks like. Nobody was willing. There was no Sunday service. There was no podcast that people actually gave real information on. It was just a bunch of bullshit. 
And in fact, most of the real estate um, podcasts that I listen to, it's good information, but they don't really get into the nitty gritty stuff. Okay. And I never had anybody walk through. I actually don't know many real estate investors who have actually sued sellers. Most real estate investors are wholesalers that I originally was talking to and they're flaky, broke pieces of shit that don't have the ability to go and actually hire an attorney. So what their advice to me was, is walk away, just go get another deal. And while I do believe in going and getting another deal, I also believe in protecting your business. And if you spent money on advertising and time and you get negotiated a contract with the seller, that seller is le legally obligated to follow through with that contract. It doesn't matter if it's seller finance, creative finance, novation agreement, cash deal, it does not matter, okay? Um, so I would call Danielle Graham, who I just gave you her information to your private text, and I would reach out to her tomorrow and just say, I have a seller, would you mind looking at my contract and let me know if I have a legal standing? Okay, there's the answer. Um, Dion Hardaway, I got a house coming up for auction on Thursday. What's the best option to possibly get that pushback? So something really interesting, Dion. Last Monday, we had Rochelle Jarvis come on Wholesale Hotline and we talked about the process of extending a foreclosure that is coming up on auction. So I highly suggest going back and listening to that. It's really good. And then also reaching out to Rochelle Jarvis. She can help you with that. Um, her website is constantclose.com. Somebody's going to ask me how to spell that. Constantclose.com. So go to constantclose.com, reach out to Rochelle. She can help you with stuff like that. Joey Vigil, on that topic of assignment on creative deal, I locked up a seller finance and assigned a contract to an end buyer. But when seller was signing closing docs, she's seen a name she didn't recognize and backed out. What's the best way to avoid this? So Joey, um, we, I teach my students in sub two how to have the conversation with the seller and the buyer. You can't just assign a sub two or a seller finance with letting, without letting people know what you're doing. Okay, you need to be educated on the conversation. The seller needs to know, especially on a seller finance. Yes. Like they need to know who's receiving, how, who the payments are coming from. Yes. <laughs> right? So... Joey, you, you screwed up on that because you didn't let the seller know up front. So um, what I would do is I would reach out to you. I would reach out to one of my sub two students, Joey, and say, how does Pace teach you guys how to have that conversation? Okay. Sam Stevens, Pace, I just joined the sub two mentorship this week and it's, and it is incredible. Wanted to shout out for Aaron Leeds for providing incredible value at the AZ squad meetup today. Aaron is amazing. And now he has my personal attorney's information. So reach out to him. Make the seller sign file for bankruptcy. Uh, no, you never want to make a seller file for bankruptcy. That is a problem. You don't right? want to be providing legal advice for sure, especially in that situation. So um, Randy says, can I buy with a wrap or am I leaving money on the table? We've bought with wraps, um, but yes, you are. You are leaving money on the table. The question you got to ask yourself, Randy, is does the deal still work? Okay. So what is Randy actually asking guys? When a seller sells to you on a, a wrap rather than a seller finance or rather than a sub two, what they're actually indicating is that the seller is taking their sub two, or let's say they're taking their mortgage or they're taking, you know, their paid off free and clear home. And it's not going to be a free and clear home. See, dude, this is the problem with freaking, I'm going to pull this up. So everybody in the world can see why Android sucks so bad. 
I don't understand why this is so, like, it's so amazing to me that I have to go through this whole process. Check this out. Can you see this? Yes. Not delivered. This is why Aaron, this is why people with Androids need to switch over to a freaking iPhone. I can't send you guys photos. Like a, this is a screenshot. It's amazing to me. Why is this like, why do Androids reject these photos? It's like a low grade screenshot. It's not even high quality. Anyway, that's one of the reasons why I don't like Androids. It has nothing to do with anything else other than just the easinesses. Okay. Is there a problem with a sub two on a Mr. Cooper loan? No, there's no problem on a sub two deal on a Mr. Cooper loan, Bradley, at all. Okay. We have one. Which one? Do you know which house it is? Colorado Street. Oh, Colorado. Awesome. And we actually bought that on hybrid. a hybrid deal. So love that. Check it out. This is actually, I invented Clubhouse just to force everybody to go get iPhones. Uh-huh. Okay, so here's a, here's a couple of questions. I bring up the word wrap and it just absolutely like melts people's brains. So let's go into this question here. Can I buy on a wrap? So Randy, if you're buying on a wrap, what does that mean? That means that the seller is um, taking their sub two loan at three and a half percent and they're adding their equity on top of it and they're charging you, they're wrapping the whole thing together and they're charging like 6% or 5%. So they're actually making money on the sub two loan on the on the existing loan and selling it to you at a higher interest rate. That would be them selling it to you on a wrap. Okay, I teach students to buy it on a um, a hybrid, where I keep the two separate. Where I buy the house, I buy I take over the mortgage. We just bought one actually. What what was the deal we just took over where we the seller financed the equity their equity to us? Roanoke. Let's talk about that. Do you, can you pull up numbers on that at all? I don't have the numbers organized. Jeff okay, has. So basically the seller sold their home to us subject to, there's an existing mortgage in place. The seller has equity that is also financing to us. Okay. What a wrap is, is if a seller has their subject to loan, let's say for a hundred thousand dollars at 3% interest, they then sell the house to us for $150,000 at 5% interest or 6% interest or 7% interest, whatever the interest is. So essentially what they're doing is they're taking their $100,000 loan at 3% and they're adding 50 grand on top of it in their own equity. And then they're wrapping it with one interest rate on top of that, which is 5%. So now they're selling their sub two loan to us at 2% higher than what they have it at. So yes, you are leaving money on the table, but the question is, are you still cash flowing? For us, I teach my students to do to purchase on what I call a hybrid, where we keep those two completely separate. So we take over the subject two at a 3%, $100,000. And then we have the seller finance their seller finance to us at 5%. So we're still paying the 3% on the underlying. We bought it for the same dollar amount, but I'm not paying interest on top of his already existing interest for the sub two loan. Okay. So Randy, yes, if it still makes sense, then it's okay to buy it. How close to ARV do you offer to seller on sub two or seller finance? Um, it depends on the deal, but I would say that the we're probably at 90% 
90% of the time we're at 90% ARV. And then sometimes we're right on ARV. Sometimes we're at 75% of ARV. We've got a lot of deal, a lot of really good sub two and creative finance deals. The Roanoke one, like we bought that one. We just closed on that one on Friday, guys. And that one, it's worth about 230, 235, and we bought it at 210. So not significant, massive discount, but still a little bit under market value and not a bad deal. Yeah. So I, that one actually, I, if anybody was following my Instagram story from this morning, um, anybody that is following my Instagram story this morning, I actually was talking about, um, proof of us buying subject to deals without our own credit, without our own cash. And I told you guys to swipe up to get a copy of the settlement statement. That's Roanoke. We just closed escrow on it a couple of days ago. I just, I gave you guys the settlement statement. You can go in there and see that Cody and I actually buy homes with none of our own credit, none of our own cash. And that property, you can pull up the address, Mike, and comp it yourself and see that we paid a little bit under ARV. But Mike, here's the, here's the thing. You need to understand that if you're buying properties, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if they've been teaching creative finance for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Equity is not where you make your money. Okay, Equity is where you make your, your wealth, but you can't pay your bills. Like you can't pay a bill with equity. Okay. You can't just say, okay, wow, I've got all this equity in this property. So I'm going to go pay bills. No, I, you can't do that. You have to sell the property or you have to refinance it, which we're against refinancing. So the main thing that you buy a property for is cash flow. Stop thinking about the equity. Stop thinking about the ARV. The ARV is like the cherry on top. Okay. Um, Roanoke is the street name, Jordan Cook. It's not the city of, uh, in Virginia. Okay. Um, Zach Wolf mentioned, ask for 0% terms. Uh, um, shout out to Zach, but how do you bring up without offending? He is savvy. Um, so Mark Ingrid Hernandez, have you watched the seller calls where I bring up 0% terms to sellers like dozens and dozens of times? That's probably where I would go to watch that. Horacio, are you guys doing lease options in Texas? If so, can you recommend to get with um, so they can help. So Horacio, we um, I'm actually flying into Houston on January 16th. So in six days, I'm going to be in Houston and I'm doing a lease option class with um, my students in Houston and um, Scott Horn. So Scott Horn is going to be coming down to Houston to teach the sub two students in a private lease option class. The answer is yes, you can do lease options. And then on January, this is actually kind of cool, Cody. Ooh, I should share, guys, I should share this with you guys. This is really, really good. Um, what is it? You're building all this suspense. So I've got Brian Tripp reaches out to me and he says, hey, I see you talk a lot of shit about uh, the burst strategy. And I would <laughs> love to put like a battle royale together with like multiple burr strategy people. And then you and three highly respected creative finance investors. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need to be part of that immediately. So um, on January 14th, ooh, this is great. It's a Zoom webinar, check it out. I'm gonna put it in the side chat so you guys can see it because everybody's gonna say what day, what time, okay? 
So it says you are invited to a Zoom webinar date January 14th, 7 p.m. Central Time. So 5 p.m. Arizona time. Um, creative finance, which creative finance strategy is the most effective in our current economic landscape? So he kind of died it, killed it down a little bit, but it's three creative finance guys and three non-creative finance guys. Okay. Um, so Lou Brown, 40 year veteran of real estate industry has literally written the book on subject two. He and I are going to be battling two Burr strategy people. And then there are going to be a couple of lease option people. This is why I deterred over to this. John Jackson's one of them. And John Jackson, here's what John Jackson's introduction is. Okay. Um, let's actually, I'll pull this up. You guys can just look at it. How about that? Might as well, right? Let's pull it up. So REI Live. Here we go. This is on Friday. I'm sorry. This is this coming week. So Pace Morby, and we're going to have John Jackson right here. John Jackson, a lease options pioneer who created whose creative financing prowess is so exhaustive that he is regularly consulted by attorneys and judges in his own, own home state of Texas. So um, I'm actually in a mastermind with John Jackson. And so we will be um, I like Brandon Turner, but I just, I, I just don't feel like Burr's strategy is a beginner strategy. And I feel like, um, he does attract a larger market of people, people who are in the traditional world. I respect Brandon, especially for what he's done. He's epic. Um, and he continues to grow. So I'm very impressed by what they've done. But at the end of the day, um, the Burr strategy is not a beginner strategy. You have to have credit. You have to have cash. You have to have job history. You have to have a W-2. And anybody that says that you don't is full of it. They, they're not doing burst strategies. Okay. Um, so anyway, that's going to be a good one. That's on Thursday night. I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you guys a link, um, in the creative finance, Facebook page. That's going to be fun. It's going to be all of the main creative finance people in the country. People have been doing it for 40 years and myself are going to be battling people that are doing lease options, et cetera. Um, okay. So, Zach Shelley. Awesome. Yeah, man, I'm going to get, I get to see that Zach Shelley actually just bought a deal from Zach Shelley in DFW. It's going to turn it into an Airbnb. Um, I have Cody and I have a goal to buy a lot of properties together this year, but I have a goal to buy 12 Airbnbs myself. Um, so if you guys have Airbnbs or any sub two or stellar finance deals in Atlanta, Dallas, Nevada, or Nevada, I am a buyer in those areas. And um, anyway, so which sub two students are coming to Houston on Saturday? Which sub two students are coming to Houston on Saturday? We're going to be talking about lease options in Texas. Um, and then also let's talk about next week's topic. Let's start. Do, this is what I want to do because what happens on these um, Sunday services is that um, I know we've been talking about doing a goal planning session for like the last three or four weeks. And I really apologize. Let me, let me tell you why we haven't done it. A couple of reasons why. Number one, two weeks ago, Cody's Wi-Fi was so bad that I had to just kick him off. It was so bad. He, we, it was like, he was a freaking, it looked like he was using the burst strategy because he was just frozen. He was left out in the cold. 
So I told Cody, I said, Hey man, I'm just going to kick you off. So at that point we couldn't do it. Um, then last week we wanted to do the goal planning session, but the PDF that I was using, um, ultimately, um, wasn't editable. And when I'm doing a live stream, it's really challenging. You got to keep things moving. You got to keep talking. You don't want to lose people's interest. You want to pack as much information in there as possible. So last week I saw the opportunity to have Matt Beard come on board and I switched the conversation from, um, you know, goal planning to virtual assistance because I wanted to deliver a lot of value to you guys. And I didn't want to be deliberating over this document for a long time. And then, um, today, kind of the same thing, just the whole document thing. So what I want to do is I want to start having a topic going forward on Sunday service. And I want to vote of what you guys want us to focus the topic on, because what will happen is these Sunday services can go through and answer 50, 60, 70 questions, but not deep dive on them. And I really want to deep dive on some of these questions for you guys, because we really want to grow this. Okay. Um, yeah. Sunday service was really, really good. In fact, you know, what happened, Kelly is son, um, Matt Beard called um, Cody and I, and he said that VA hub was, is like going to start turning away clients because we had so many clients come on board. They love, everybody loved it so much. Randy, um, the way you get these hats is you have to be a sub two student. We don't sell them. I could easily sell these hats, but we don't sell them. You have to be a sub two student. Okay. The, um, so yeah, VA hub was like, wow, we are overbooked. We, we probably this week or next week are going to stop taking clients for about 30 days or so. So guys, if you guys want to reach out to Matt Beard before he closes up, um, new client onboarding, I would reach out to Matt. Cody, will you throw Matt's email in the side chat real quick, just in case people need it? Oh, his inbox was insane. He said he got like 480 um, emails last week. Yeah. And VA Hub ended up getting like 300 requests because so many people are sick of the way that they've been doing it the other way. Okay, so guys, let's talk about some topics. Let's throw some topics out. Do you guys want us to deep dive on wraps? Do you guys want us to deep dive on subject twos? Do you guys want us to deep dive on raising private capital? Do you guys want us to bring in a special guest? What do you guys feel like you really need from a creative finance standpoint? It doesn't seem like people really care when we break our own deals down. I thought about maybe um, streaming live and doing like whiteboard stuff. But what do you guys feel like you would want? And uh, while I wait for you guys to fill up the chat with things that you would like to see, um, I'm going to answer a couple of questions. Alex, acquiring five plus wholesale deals per week, direct to seller in Dallas. How can we implement the same volume in sub two and collab, leaving money on the table, paying for these leads, but not converting with wholesale offer to seller? So Alex, I would reach out to Jimmy Al or Zach Shelley in DFW. Um, I just bought a deal from Zach. Zach is one of my really, really good students in the DFW area. Zach, um, connect with Alex Cefeli. Um, sounds like she's not a um, sub two student so she's going to be missing out on that so either a you join the mentorship and we teach you everything or b work with one of our students and let our student um, team up with you and make some money on it that's the way you do it okay if you're not in a position where you want to join the mentorship then work with one of the students no big deal okay um so sub two deep dive please that's really interesting liz what do you mean by that Let's talk about that. Give me, give me more info, like deep dive on sub two. What does that mean? 
what part of it do you not understand? Is it, um, have you had success with mailers to people in foreclosure? Any techniques you can share? Yeah, don't do mailers. That's the technique. Don't do mailers. Do active investing. People who are doing mailers don't, they basically want to do like a passive version of investing. Are you passive or are you, in, are you active? Okay. All right. Let's see. Um, Spanish speaking VAs, especially in Arizona. Awesome. Everything is the foreclosure moratorium active. Yes. Foreclosure moratorium is act, still active. Um, no, you can go after foreclosures. You're just not telling them you're going after foreclosures. Omar. Okay. Okay. So Liz, perfect. That's a that, there we go. That's a greater, that's a greater conversation. I like that. I like that. Jeremy Davis has a really good question there. While still staying in the goal planning mentality, I would love to hear how you guys saw your future before you were a company and how you began to scale. I like that a lot. Liz, this is a really great topic. I like this. This is going to be next week's subject to. So Kelly Hanno, this is what I want everything to be based on next week. And we're only going to talk about this for an hour and a half. So people, when they come in and they ask me questions about a wrap or this or that, we are going to, um, we are going to focus on this one topic. Okay. Liz says, I need to know how to get sellers to understand what subject to process is. Okay, great. So Liz, I don't like jumping topics, Cody. I actually hate jumping topics. What happens is I just want to make sure that everybody gets everybody's entertained. And if you have four seconds of dead air, you lose audience. So I am just the, the master of continually talking. That's essentially what it is. Okay, here's what we're going to do. The next two weeks of Sunday service, we are going to have two topics. Number one, raising cap, or I'm sorry, not number one. Number one, Kelly Hanno, let's create a thumbnail for this and let's start talking about it. We are going to talk about helping a seller understand the process of subject two. That is next week's topic. Liz, I want you to be an opening guest. I want you to actually have a conversation with us at the beginning. So reach out to Kelly Hanno and we're going to give you a link to the show. We're going to give you the first 20 minutes and we're going to have you have your questions ready. And we're going to go through and have you on the screen with us for the first 20 minutes of the show. Okay. So Liz, next Sunday, the topic is getting sellers to understand the process of subject two. Okay. So Aaron, this is something right here that we do in our mastermind. So uh, Cody and I really do uh, a deep dive on this and it's really um, interesting. We really do it for people that are only ready for this. Aaron says, I was going to say planning, designating, scaling, and building your business step-by-step. Step. Yeah, we do that in our mastermind. That's actually what we focus on. Um, Randy, overcoming objections from seller. That would be really good. Be happy to do that. In 2020, I did hundreds of phone calls for myself, my students and we recorded all of those phone calls and actually Kelly Hanno ended up putting them into like a mini module all about um, objections. And um, 
that is a bonus module for all the sub two students. We spent hundreds and hundreds of hours on that. So that we, that's a great topic. Happy to talk about that. So Liz, reach out to Kelly Hanno. I want you to be a guest on the show next week. We're going to talk about how to get a seller to understand the process of subject two. Then this is what I want. Who want, who's curious? I want to see a yes in the comments. Who is curious about raising private capital? Okay. Who is curious about raising private capital? Okay, cool. So Kelly, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a few people who have questions about raising private capital. Let's get Mark Wright. I love Mark Wright. He's out of Vegas. Let's get Mark Wright. He shows up in, in Facebook. But let's get Mark Wright. He's one of the sub two students. Let's get, um, in fact, I want to get Baller Z because I have actually no clue what their name is. It is so amazing to me that people still name themselves something that I can't like, guys, you got, I gotta know your name. JB three, same thing. How do I know your name? Guys, please help me. Please, please, please help me. I would love to know your names. I want to know the community. I want to know who you guys are. Okay. So let's do this next week. I want Mark, not next week, but in two weeks, I want Mark, um, from the sub two mentorship. and Jacob Smith. Okay. And Baller Z. So Mark Baller Z and Jacob Smith, I want you to be a guest on not this coming Sunday's show, but the following Sunday's show where we talk all about raising private capital. AI entrepreneur, novation agreements are recorded. Yes. So guys, if you want us to stay on topic, here's what I want you guys to do. So JB3, let me let me kind of scold you a little bit. Okay, I'm, I'm feeling spicy right now. If you're a sub two student and you have access to me and the whole entire power of the mentorship, you should have your real name as your moniker on YouTube or Facebook. You want other people that are not part of the mentorship to be able to reach out to you and work with you. Do not use some fake name when you're on social media, because then you can't squat up with people. People aren't waking up in the morning and saying, I have a question about creative finance. I better reach out to JB3. Okay. That's not how it works. I'm sorry for being to scold you, but you want to make money in this business, brand yourself, let people know who you are. Okay. He's not a robot. Okay. Um, so if you guys want us to continually stay on topic, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you guys to go into the creative finance with Pace Morby Facebook group. And I want you guys to talk about the topic that you want us to see. And Kelly's going to be monitor, uh, monitoring that. Okay. So go into the creative finance with Pace Morby Facebook group and say this, say, I would like to see this topic blank on a future episode of Sunday service. And Kelly is going to start counting up um, the topics and we're going to start compiling the next month, two months, and even three months of topics going into Sunday service.
Okay. Christian Hernandez, um, we'd love to talk to you about doing more fix and flip stuff. I'm happy to do that. Omar, I am. I think it's a great topic. Everyone needs to know how to raise capital if you're going to invest. What's up, Pace and Cody? What up, bro? So, guys, we're going to wrap up Sunday service. Going forward, we are only going to have one topic we focus on the entire show. And going forward, I need to do a better job of not answering questions that are not on topic. But guess what? If we don't have a topic, that's my fault. So next week, what is the topic, everybody? It is how to get sellers to understand the process of subject two. The following Sunday service is going to be based on raising private capital. Okay. Tons of students in Austin, Texas. Alec? You mean Dave Day, Alex? You're talking about Dave Day, not Ryan Day? So, um, guys, without, without uh, going any further, that's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about how to get the sellers to understand the sub-two process. And then going into the following week, it's going to be all about raising capital. And then week three, four, and five coming up the next three, week, th next three weeks after those two, Kelly Hanno is going to choose those topics based on the public Facebook group. Okay. Jeremy Davis, that's a really great suggestion. I will bring that up to um, I will bring that up to um, Kelly Hanno. She'll work on that. Okay, guys, we appreciate you guys so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. Have an awesome night, Cody. You got anything to say? I think just in closing, um, a lot of the viewers that weren't on at the beginning. We are on Spotify and we are on iTunes. So make sure to go and check it out. If you're driving to work, want to listen to past episodes, you can check that out on Spotify and iTunes. And if you're not in the creative financing Facebook group with Pace Morby, make sure to search that, get involved in the group and let's have a great week. Thanks guys. Uh -huh.